0: there's four
1: main schools of yoga I mean in this country you hear about hatha yoga a lot hatha yoga is a is uh, science of physical well-being physical well-being the reason this, this the reason the sages put that science together was if you're suffering some disease process or some some uh, physiological imbalance it's hard to practice if I tell you to sit still and you have a toothache well how successful are we going to be? Not too successful. See. So they wanted to create a system where a person was uh, physically robust, uh, strong, vital, healthy, so that they could go on to do uh, the, the deeper practices that take a tremendous amount of physical and psychological strength, see? so that they were the body would be at ease. The word hatha, ha is the solar energy. Tha is the lunar energy. So it's the balancing of the polarities of the body. See? Any kind of opposite in the body, it was to bring into a balance so that there's equanimity. Just like you have an incoming breath, you have an outcoming breath. You close your eyes, you open your eyes, see take a breath in to take a breath out there's always a, a polarity two hands two eyes two nostrils like that there's, there's polarity throughout throughout the body and um, all of the systems to work well together the word yoga comes from the Sanskrit word yoga which means to yoke or bind together So, what are you yoking or binding together you're binding the finite to the infinite so in hatha yoga you have dynamic balance and in that dynamic balance it can be tied to the infinite see the part can become part of the whole but it's done through balance through through Harmony, And the, the various systems of the body are harmonized. The organ systems are harmonized. The emotions are harmonized. The mind is harmonized. All of the senses are, are harmonized. See, so that they're all functioning as a team. And you can get the most amount of perception because the instrument is clean. Just like if you're in a laboratory and, and the lab instruments are not clean, are you going to do a good experiment with that, with that instrumentation? Probably not. You'll contaminate your samples. You know, your instrumentation has to be clean. Exactly the same. So if you're saying, what is real? What is truth? Or, or, or simply what is going on inside of me? Don't you think the instrumentation has to be cleaned up? Hatha yoga was designed for that. To, to clean the tool, you know, to, to, to balance the tool and to clean the tool. And then you could go on and do all these, you know, experiments. Of, you know, what is the origin of emotion? What is the origin of thought? What is the nature of thought? You know, what, what can thought bring us? You know, what, what can we discover through the instrument of thought? See, you have to understand your emotions are a tool. You know, you're, it's, it's a tool of perception your 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 intellect your thought process is a tool of perception see, they, we we have to look at them as instruments and say how can i hone this instrument to give me the greatest insight on what's going on around me you know what is nature is there something beyond nature what is the origin of nature <laughs>
0: see
1: so you need you need a superly developed a super refined instrument in order to uh, to move from the absolute gross to the absolute subtle, and you should examine every bit of it. You know, so in Hatha Yoga, you're studying what's what's gross, meaning this this clay body. It's it's very immediate, it's very complex, but we know little about it until we start paying attention to it. You know. If I have this thought, how does it affect the body? If I have this feeling, how does it affect the body? If I breathe this way, how does it affect the body? If I stop eating, how does it affect the body? If I overeat, how does it affect the body? See, it's all knowledge. You know, if, if, if you want to make this, this instrument of the body be optimal, you should understand how it functions. What is, it, what is its optimal condition to function under? See? If I plunge a person's head under the water and they're under there for three minutes, three and a half minutes, they can't function optimally. All of a sudden you realize the value of the breath. When they plop up and take a, a massive vital breath, there's a great insight onto how important the breath is. You see? So you should understand the manipulation of your breath is huge, you know, it's, it's huge. The type of food that you bring into the body is huge. Some of it will make you sick. Some of it will make you fat. Some of it will make you extremely vital. See? A lot of times we just simply don't think about it. You know, But the, the, the all the yoga sciences were put together by saints and sages. They weren't put together by common men. They were, they were put together by extraordinary beings for the... For the benefit of humanity, so that each person can move to a more optimal condition. See? and then, let's say there's some kind of unavoidable catastrophe happens to this instrument and it's it's damaged. How do you how do you still try to maintain some kind of psychic optimal functionality, even though the body may be damaged? See, so that you're not emotionally and psychologically, you know, disabled because of you had a physical disability. So it's it's trying to I hope, it's, it's trying to create, you know, the best opportunity for you to have real success, real insight, uh, to have uh, the most meaningful life with the tools that you have. So that's that's a, a tiny nutshell synopsis of, of hatha yoga which is really uh, uh we consider it a, a minor yoga because it's preparatory it's preparatory it's, it's cleaning the lab instruments you know it's you know. Uh, then you have four other main main yogas one is called jnana yoga That's the yoga of profound psychic insight, using the mind to look at something and ask the question, what is real? And in the word reality, it means what is is present that is unchanging? Because if it's changing, is it really real? No, it was momentarily this and then momentarily that. But was there some substrate beneath that that was constant that allowed all the changes to occur? Like, you're a being, but when you were a a two-year-old, when you were 10 years old, when you were 20 years old, when you were 30 years old, you were going through all, all changes. But you were always a being. That was the substrate, your beingness. But that beingness has gone through infinite changes. So the question is, from Jnana Yoga point of view, what what is the nature of that essential beingness? Not necessarily what was the nature of the change that you've passed through, but what was the nature of that original beingness? See? If you remember when you were a child, a very young one, how much psych- psychic difficulty was there? Very little, very modest, you know, maybe a little gas or a little hunger, or had the diapers changed. Now think of the complexity of our lives as adults in comparison to the difficulty we had when we were a child and the difficulty we have now, far more complex, far more infinite. You know, the child was, was lying in, in a, a, a quieter, more fundamental state. They laughed easier, you know. Now our laugh is, you know, very very complicated, you know. It's not just an honest, open laugh. It's, it's based on all of our psychology of what we've come to figure out is funny. As we were before, if you tickled the baby, it would giggle. You know, if you made a funny face, it would giggle. There was no inhibition. Now there's a whole lot more calculation, you know. So, Jnana Yoga is is looking at uh, what were the original fundamental states of our beingness. Then then you have um, Bhakti Yoga. Bhakti Yoga is heart-based, and you can say that it's devotional mysticism. How do you, We can say, what was the heart of Christ? You know, that great loving being or the heart of Buddha. You know, that great compassionate being. You know, what was the nature of their heart? And is that in me? W- were they unique? Or were they just modeling a great reality? See, so that's the, the study of Bhakti Yoga. Devotional mysticism. How do, how do you take your emotions and evolve them into devotion? The highest expression of emotion is devotion. And devotion is using the heart to focus on the nature of reality. What is real? But looking at it through the eyes of the heart. See? You have all these different facilities, all these different lenses that we're asking. We're looking at one question, but using different lenses because you've been given multiple lenses. Then another of the great yogas, yogas is karma yoga. Karma yoga is the, the yoga of selfless service. It means if I can become a generator of good, whether large or small, and have my personality simple and supple, simple and supple, not I am this or I am that, that's complex and a headache, but simple and supple and generating good, then what is the nature of reality? What is the experience? You know, if I'm not wrapped up in all kinds of personal egoic complexes, It's like a guileless child, someone guileless, sweet and simple. And they have the profound motivation to constantly generate good. Then what is the nature of reality? What is that soul's experience? On a grand scale, you can look at someone like Mahatma Gandhi, who had to purposefully deconstruct his life. You know, when Mahatma Gandhi died, he had probably like five elements. He had a mala, he had a set of glasses, he had a set of shoes, and he had his dhoti that he wore. You know, And a copy of the Gita. It was like five or six items. That's all he owned. You know? And, you know, this is a man who could have been a bazillionaire. The whole nation would have thrown wealth at him if he had wanted it. But he asked himself, what do I really need? you know to, to live a happy life and also how can I generate as much good as possible so he said I don't need this I don't need this I don't need this I don't, you know and just started stripping away all the things that weren't necessary all the the edifices that we add to ourselves so he found that beneath all the, the wants there was a, a fundamental joy that was not based on all the things that we could acquire whether it's how people see us or whether it's physical elements of the world whether it's a car or the VCR or whatever that that the very act of generating good for others and living a profoundly simple life gave him a profound insight into the nature of life you know how much we don't need By finding out what we don't need, we find out what is really, really important, you know. Like if your grandmother or your mother ever gave you a big loving hug, well, what did that cost anybody? It didn't cost anybody anything, you know. It was just something profoundly fundamental, an expression of the heart that would give us great joy, you know. But what did it take? It didn't. It didn't take any of the. Uh, didn't take a car. Didn't take a VCR. Didn't take a new dress. Didn't take any of that stuff. Didn't take going anywhere. You know, it was just one pure energy being exchanged. No price involved. But that one hug could last you your entire life. You know. You see that Saint omage? How how many people are coming for hugs? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All over the world. Yeah. So so how can you become simple and supple and generate as much good as possible? That's Karma Yoga. So any act of goodwill, and then this, you know the social workers and the doctors who are. moving along that path and then they become humanitarians and then some day down the line they'll become Saints but it's by not paying so much attention to you by finding your joy in the welfare of others you find your joy in the welfare of others you know just like a person who runs a a child's orphanage Their, their life is full of joy and and full of meaning but they themselves may live in a small hut with not a whole lot, but just by the act of, of, of securing these children's welfare and seeing the love and joy in their smiles and in their play, your life is extremely rich. See, karma yogi. They're not they're not trying to be the top of the hill. They're not trying to be a big edifice, but they find some noble action and live simply, and and their life has purpose, meaning, and insight through that. See, they minimize the self and they lift up others. See? That's a, a karma yogi. Then you have one other form. Of, this, there's infinite forms of yoga, but I'm just saying the four principal schools. Okay, There's many, many. Then you have Raja Yoga, which is uh, a very psychological uh, school of yoga of which hatha yoga is actually one of the, of the portions of uh, of raja but raja takes you through a, a process of physical well-being uh eth- ethical study um, study of of concentration and study of meditation and study of pure stillness so it's it's a uh, Step by step, step program um, that that allows you to slowly achieve greater and greater means of, of in, insight by by psychological balance, purifying the psyche, the intellect, and the insight, and then uh, acting upon the results of those experiments. That that's Raja Yoga. Any thoughts or questions so far? You know, (laughs) anything that I've said that's not particularly clear, or you'd like expanded upon? Yes. So you speak a lot about,
0: uh, or a little bit about breathing and yoga, and like the relation there. Um, But like, uh, I've never been super clear on like why specifically breathe through the nose, and why like with ujjayi breath what. What that does, and, um, and how that relates with you know these further more psychological yogas.
1: Oh, well, that's truly a vast subject. You know, it's it's the truth is it's it's an oceanic subject. Okay. Um, but the the body is pervaded by breath, and. There's two things that go hand-in-hand. Breath and prana. Prana is the, uh, the vital energy. In India, they call it prana. Uh, in Japan, they call it ki. In China, they call it chi. You know, it's the vital element. But that vital element is hidden within the breath. It's sort of the uh, atomic uh, substrate of the breath. You can think of it that way. Um, and the easiest way to f- figure out where the prana is going is by being able to watch where the breath is going. Because they, 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 they travel in a unified, in a, uh, unified, uh, in a parallel, parallel route. If one is present, the other is present. Like this. I'll give you an example. When a, when a person dies, the breath is expired, and they're gone. Have you yeah. ever seen a person pass? I see. There's no vitality. They're just gone. Whoever they were is obviously no longer present. All their life, from birth to that moment of death, they've been breathing. That breathing has kept them alive. Now, the person that has expired, if you pump air into them, are they going to be alive again? No. It's the prana within the air that gave them the vitality. Air was only the external expression. See, it was only the external expression of an internal vitality. So air alone won't give life, but air and prana if the prana would have recirculate in the person's body, life would return. But air, not just air by itself, it has to have the vitality of prana. Now, when when you're learning all kinds of uh, practices, that's, Shiva-san is a practice where you just lie down and learn how to relax. Asan uh, means posture. Shiva is... A, Is a a deity. The, the, The dissolver nature. In those early parts of those practices, you learn how to sit, or excuse me, lie down and allow the breath to become very still. And then just through conscious observation to watch what happens to the nature of your musculature. See? As as the breath becomes even, deep, and silent, okay? It becomes rhythmic, deep, and silent. It has a profound effect on the musculature and the various organs of the body. So if you're lying there and you allow, you're moving from a state of tension, which we all have, just by nature of activity, to a type of peaceful passivity but with an alert psyche at that point you can start to say you can start to observe what the breath and the breathing process the effect it has on the muscular and nervous system. As you can become aware of the breath's effect on the muscular and the nervous system at that point You also acquire an ability for some kind of conscious manipulation. See? Not to give you a medical example. A person's having a panic attack. Their nervous system is going out of whack. The respiration the respiration is going nuts. If they were able to have the ability to become objective and to regulate their breath, do you think the panic attack can occur? It's not possible because at that point, because they've learned how to watch their breath and to see how the breath functions when it is at absolute normalness, when it's in the most optimal healthy state, then they can, just by pure attention, they can dial it back. One is a condition of out of control, The one and the other is a condition of perfect natural control, you see? So, from a purely medical point of view, you can optimize a lot of your living biological functions purely by being profoundly aware of the nature of breath. So if if a muscle is injured or, or there's tremendous tension, you can learn how to quietly, deeply, breathe into that region. And in consciously breathing into that region, you're also, remember the, the the prana follows along with the breath. You can vitalize that organ or that muscle group or that particular muscle or that particular area and restore normality, see? By being super aware of the nature of breath and then using your mind to regulate breath and prana see so that's very very elementary uh, simple simple way of discussing it it becomes infinitely more uh, complex over time because your body and muscles are a gross substance substance. But your emotions are also a type of substance. It's a type of energy. Anything that's existing in nature, so your intellect exists in nature, your emotions exist in nature, your biology exists in nature, because it's something. So it's in some kind of energetic pattern. By the use of prana and breath, you can regulate your bodily functions, you can regulate your emotional functions and you can regulate your psychological functions. But it all came from you first observing what the nature of breath is when you're in an optimal condition. And then you can, re- you can, you can get an impression of that optimal condition and then impose it on, on areas of the body or psyche that are become irregular. Does that answer a little bit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This. The the. Okay. There, there's. Um. Thousands and thousands and thousands, of tubes that run through the body, seventy-two thousand. Each each one of those tubes, uh. Uh, is a pathway for prana, to flow through the body, and and over time. Uh, you can become uh, consciously aware of uh, those tubes, and you can do minute um, manipulation purely through being aware of the breath and psychic application. You're telling the mind, telling the breath, telling the uh, prana where to go. It, it is under your control, but most of our life it's under our control unconsciously you're simply making it conscious in the yogic process see just like you can regulate your heartbeat before they thought it's not possible but you can it's under an unconscious process you know or generally your uh, respiration generally it's unconscious you simply breathe you don't think about breathing you simply breathe but can you regulate it? Of course you can. You just make it conscious. If you make it conscious, you can you can create different results through that breath. Okay. So it's a matter of making things conscious. Then all kinds of facility opens up. There's there's all kinds of <clears throat> subtle psychic facility that we have that we we don't use at all simply because it's all functioning below the conscious level. And in these processes, by utilizing the breath as a, as a way in, um, we can acquire a great, great insight. Just like if we live our lives on a boat on top of the ocean, it's only when we jump into the ocean do we realize there's a whole other world, a whole other dynamic world full of all types of activity going on. That in, if we're in the water, we can interact with. But if we're sitting on the boat, we're completely unaware. Most of our consciousness is on the boat. <laughs> so we're aware of the birds and the sky and the other boats going around. But we're not aware of the whole world of the sea until you jump in. And one of the ways of jumping in and, and exploring the, in the internal uh, phenomena of, of the body and also the psyche is the breath. And it's more subtle than that. The, when you get more subtle, or when your insight becomes more keen, you'll become aware of the prana. See? <laughs> Any other questions? I hope I answered it okay. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. they are all doors in this. There's, there's a million ways in. The breath is a big one. Yeah. So I think I discussed the... Uh, Raja Yoga, Jnana Yoga, uh, Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga, or the are the four principal schools. But there's many, 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 many schools. It's literally a gazillion of, of, of ways of, 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 of studying the nature of reality. Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? Mm-hmm. You must have some question. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, we're working on it. So really, uh, in the yoga, the yoga science, in truth, uh, everything we see is a door to uh, to exploring consciousness. You know, the rug is not just a rug. The tree is not just a tree, you know. Everything, everything can be traced back to something, because something comes from something, see? Where did it come from? That, if you say something comes from something and then start to trace it back, you, you land up on this, on a wonderful journey. Even the, even the most mundane thing, you can say a brick. Well, a brick has no meaning. You just walk past bricks and don't think about it. But if you look at the brick and say, "Okay, something comes from something," well, where did that brick come from? Well, that brick was once earth, you know. And then, you know, what did that earth, what did that earth supply before it became a brick? Well, it supplied life. It it, it gave uh, it gave a home to biologic biological life, whether it's plant life or insect life or, you know, some kind of other. You know, microbial existence. So, inherent in that brick was a life giver. <laughs> At some time, it was very active in supporting life. Okay. And then you say, well, why? What? What was it? What was it in the the nature of that brick that that, in the scheme of existence, gave it the ability to support life itself? See, so all of a sudden that simple brick becomes a philosophical, you know, tool. That even that brick supported life, then you should say, well, what about me? You know? That brick supported a bunch of life. What have I been doing? You know? That brick might have a little bit more on you. You're walking <laughs> by with all the brains and all the facility, but that brick at one time supported a whole community of life. What have you done? you know so it makes you think you have to look you have to look at life and don't take things for granted something comes from something you know and then if you look start to look at the history of what it's done as it, from this position to this position to this position its significance becomes real just like if there's a person standing there you don't know them it's just a person but if you if you talk to them all of a sudden a world opens up and you realize, wow, I didn't have any knowledge that this person was, was wonderful. All this is in them.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like an artist. They just look like anybody else. But their head is full of art. Their head is full of music. Their head is full of form. You know, It's wonderful. For a mathematician, they're looking at the whole world. You know, but you have, to, you have to acquaint yourself. So the brick is the same thing. You have to acquaint yourself. You know, you have to enter some kind of conversation with it to see what its what its held, what its history is. So, you you, you go from a very uh, superficial way of looking at the world to a much much deeper way of looking at the world. Because if a brick can have meaning, <laughs> you know, a simple brick, what about everything else that's you know obviously wonderful, you know? So, so you can get. Your, your experience of the world uh, becomes far deeper, far more philosophical. Uh, far more, you're far more integrated into, into, into the world. You're not taking things for granted. You know? your, your senses are not dulled. You'll start to use all of your senses because you realize, wow, there's a lot of wonderful stuff going on here it's like if you go to the beach you know your sun feels the skin in the breeze your nose can smell the, the salt air you know all of your senses you can hear the, the the water lapping sometimes you can even taste the salt in the air you know you're 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 alive you're alive you know because your senses become engaged but because of our psychological facilities we tone down we tone down we say this this is important. I'm just concentrating on this, and 10,000 people can walk by. You have no idea, and you don't care. But if your senses are alive, all of your your physical senses and your psychic senses are alive. There's a, a tremendous engagement. You know, you become so much more alive because you're so much more engaged. See. So your experience of life becomes very, very, very rich. You know? So a kid who gets lost in just a computer will never know uh, the joy of riding a bike or a skateboard or skiing, which all those things, your senses are far more alive as opposed to just staring at a screen. See, More engagement, not that the one's better but the thing is, why limit yourself? Why limit yourself? You know, you want to, to know the full expression of your heart. You wanna know the full expression of your intellect. You wanna know the full expression of your uh, senses. See, because this, this world will dial you back. Just think about that. Just feel this, just experience that. You know, when we're a kid, we're, like, wide open, all the, all the senses are going, we feel what we feel, we can think, we can experience, and then as we get older, we get dialed back, and then we get dialed back, and get dialed back, and then you see, when a person's 50, 60, 70, that just is this crusty tomb that has not forgotten, Who simply <laughs> has not lied down and died, you know, because they've been dialed back, dialed back, dialed back and the life where is the life anymore if you if you saw them at 20 or at 15 or at 7 you would have seen what they are but at 50 60 70 what happened what happened the heart got dialed back the intellect got dialed back the senses got dialed back they're no longer they're not a fifth of what they were you know because they kept they they lost the engagement so in the yoga process, we try to look deeply into the nature of life, and bec- and maintain an engagement. Our heart is engaged, our intellect is engaged, our senses are engaged. Okay. We're not dialed back, you know, <laughs> or zeroed out. <laughs> you know. So that's that's some of what you're Somebody else is coming. Is one of your friends? Uh-huh. You can just open the door. Please come in. The the restroom is straight back and to the left.
0: More. I think um, also one reason we don't take the time to observe and, and for example, observe the brick is because um, we're so often wrapped up in our own projections on top of that. that Absolutely. It's not just that you're not looking at the brick, you're looking at with how it's useful for you and whether I... See it as something I can use to like throw or like to build something with. Or was you know, I don't really see it just as a brick. I yeah. really see it only in terms
1: of what it does for me. Right. Um, L- that's because in in society in general, um, you know, we're all ego based, which means I based. You know. As Sylvia is saying, what's in it for me, (laughs) or how how is it useful to me, as as opposed to just sort of honoring everything as its own intrinsic expression of something occurring in nature, just independently, you know, just simply independently, as opposed to having a a type of acquisition-minded, how is it of value to me? Something is just if someone is smiling across the street. I'm just happy they're smiling. You know, I'm enjoying the fact that they're enjoying it. I don't have to get anything out of it. You know. It's just great. It's it's something it's like a, a wonderful breeze. You know, it's it's something happening in nature that simply should be appreciated for for what it is as opposed to what it can do for me. So I don't go over and try to capture that person and say, smile just for me. <laughs> no smile for life you know that was something native that came out of you that was like a blossom God bless everybody it's it's a good thing you know you don't try to capture it just allow allow things to be Uh, allow yourself to pass through natural relationships without any kind of selfishness you know if you have a, a healthy friend or friendship, you just enjoy what that person is. You're not looking for anything out of it. You just enjoy what they are. And if anything, you try to pr- promote them so that they can maintain that creativity or that joy or that insight or whatever it is in them that you're really enjoying. You know, but you're not looking for something out of it. You just say, wow, I'm glad that's here in life, and I'll I'll do whatever I can to help sustain it, you know, because I think you're wonderful in the world, you know, but you don't try to capture it or possess it, see, and then you try to capture it or possess it, it's becoming unhealthy, (laughs) the bigger the me, the more the unhealthiness, you know. It's like saying, I want to capture all the butterflies in the world for me. Isn't that unhealthy? Other than having them travel the world and give joy to everyone who can glimpse them. The more I want it for me, the more unhealthy it is. You know? But if I can say, wow, I had a moment where I saw this field of butterflies go by. That was fantastic. And then let it go. you know, It was just a ray of light into the world for a moment. To my heart I should be happy with that <laughs> instead of saying let's capture it and put it in the cage in my backyard <laughs> you know and not let it be an expression for all which is which is its natural intent you know to be a, a joy and expression for all See? so th- these are the types of things the, the types of relationships that you you learn in the yoga process by becoming more and more and more about your essential self, which is more of a, an oceanic person, uh, of very supple intellectually, very supple emotionally. You know, The more rigid you become intellectual, intellectually, the more rigid you become emotionally, the more boundaries you have. And the more boundaries you have, you have this side and that side. You have right, and you have wrong. You know, that rigidness is is not healthy, as opposed to being emotionally supple, intellectually supple. You know, a person who only sees one point of view and everybody else is wrong, is that really healthy? And what if they made a mistake in their calculations? You know, unfortunate situation. That's a saying, possible, or maybe that means some intellectual you know flexibility let me try to see it from your point of view or for another point of view You know, is there just one point of view you know if i put a point here is there only one way to look at that point or is there a 360 there's many ways of looking at that point you know and what may be true in this moment may not be true of the same thing in the next moment <laughs> Emotional, intellectual, suppleness, flexibility. It's much more healthy. Much more healthy. Even if if you look at a plant, when it's supple, it's alive and vital. The more rigid, dead. Dead. Look at a a branch that has fallen from the, the, the tree. It gets more rigid. Vitality is gone. But while it's attached to the tree, more supple, more vitality, more real life. See? There's no difference in your, your psyche or your heart. The more rigid your heart, the more unfortunate. The more rigid your intellect, the more unfortunate. You know? How rigid were your, was your heart and mind when you were a child? You were open. You were flexible. That's how you learned so much you know that's how you learn so much with that flexibility that flexibility is a form of life vitality you know the happiest senior citizens are the ones who are out there living and emotionally flexible intellectually flexible and still using their senses they're the happiest the ones that are shut down shut down shut down more and more sorrow so, so how do you live a, a, a philosophical life, a, a purposeful life, a joyful life, a meaningful life, a, a life that has insight into the nature of your place in the universe? All of that's yoga. All of that is yoga. See, it, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a body, or a volume of tools that you absorb and you use in this journey through life. Otherwise you're given extremely modest tools and you sort of stumble your way the best you can through life. As opposed to having the greatest minds who are the sages and saints of all times, the most successful beings on the planet, have put out roadmaps for human beings. And you have the choice, do you use it or you don't use it? If you use it, you'll have the same type of success that they had. If you don't use it, well, it's, you'll meander through life as best you can. And some will be great tragedies, some will be some joy, some will be some mixed. But it's like saying, I, I want you to go to Nevada, blindfolded, and no maps." Well, good luck, <laughs> you, know, you know? You're gonna go somewhere, but you're not, not you, Probably won't make it to Nevada. You know, you'll be you'll be bumping into the trees and stepping in ditches, and the map is useful. <laughs> so these are sublime souls that left maps for human beings. You know, and it's just uh, up to you to say, well, to give it an honest examination and say, you don't have to accept anything, but what you should do. Is give it an honest examination and say, is this useful to me? You know, that's all. You know, ruthless honesty. Is it useful to me? Or maybe this part's useful. Maybe this is not so useful right now. I don't understand what the heck they're talking about. Let me just take what I understand. Fine. Start where you are. Start where you are, and ask ten thousand questions. You know, that's the best way. You know. But always always find, in your studies, always find uh, very authentic sources. Look very deeply and find saints that have meaning to you. And say, wow, what they experienced in their heart or what they, their insight was, I'd like to acquire that in my heart or in that, that in my experience. You know? And uh, embrace and, and study, look deeply. Any other questions, thoughts, hmm. <laughs> ideas, hmm. commentary?
0: <laughs>
1: no. I'm not talking about anything that I thought I was going to talk about. <laughs> so we're all winging it here. Yeah. Susan, any questions about uh, help me out here? <laughs> Susan is a good friend, and been with me a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I you talk
0: about meditation.
1: Yeah, that's important. Actually, Victor made me think about that the other day. Because, uh, he, he, you know, he would say he had a hard time with meditation. Everybody has a hard time with meditation, you know? <laughs> you know don't sweat that." you know. You know it, it's tough for everybody, but on the other side, it's useful for everybody. Meditation is, uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck if you wanted to pay the price of admission. <laughs> so it's a bit tough because your mind is equated to the wind. It loves to move. Its nature is movement. So here it is, its facility is moving all over the place, and you're saying stay still. Problem. You know? It's like trying to keep the horse in the barn. Is it going to be happy? I don't think so. But if you can teach it the benefits of stillness, then it can grow into those habits. Just like with hatha yoga, you're trying to acquire a balance. In the mind, you also need a balance. You know, the other one side is movement, the other side is stillness. But if you only have practiced one half of your of your psychic capacity, and not the whole the whole other fifty percent, are you really whole? Have you really experienced what you what you're endowed what, what your endowment of experience is? If you've only used half of the facility see that's the problem we we've, we've used movement of the mind infinitely from childhood on but that was only one facility it's like me telling you use only your right hand or, use only your left hand you know big limitation as opposed to being able to use the full facility so think about the full psychic value of the movement of your mind, how much stuff you've analyzed, how much stuff you've thought of, how much stuff you've perceived, how much that gave you. Well, there's a whole other world of perception via stillness. As as dynamic as you've experienced through 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 the movement of mind, infinitely more dynamic is in the stillness. But it's a type of paradox. In the beginning, you don't see it. You think of stillness as nothing. It's a paradox. Actually, the stillness itself is what gave that movement vitality. It's just super subtle. It's just super, super subtle. What allowed all the movement of mind and all of your perception and all of your experience the energy for that came out of that, it came out of the, that silence, that stillness, that that hidden paradox. Right? That's that's what meditation wants you to experience. You know, the origin of all of your activities, all of your experience, was hidden in that silence. There's a. There's a a far more amplified vitality hidden in the silence, but because the mind is active and on a more gross level, more physically, visibly expressed. It's just like so we see the atoms and electrons and neutrons, but then we split them. Hidden inside, what was obvious, is something profoundly dynamic. In the silence, there's a... Profound dynamism that allows that to be. It's the It's the substrate of what of what is obvious. It's experienceable. You know, silence is not just silence. Silence in the beginning. It's just what our coarse mind can observe. What. As the mind can slowly dissolve itself into silence, it becomes more refined. It's a type of uh, alchemy, a smelting process where our facility of mind becomes subtler and subtler and subtler. And as we become more subtle, the, we bec- the world of uh, dynamism within the silence becomes more visible. It's, it's not visible simply because we haven't looked no one told you to look and no one said okay these are the skills you have to you have to develop in order to have a, a more subtle consciousness it means a uh, uh, if, if in in astronomy we have very crude um, uh, instruments to look at the sky and then decade after decade we we develop more refined instrumentation and the sky becomes grander and grander and grander there's no difference in the psychic study and meditation in the beginning can can you can you you know can galileo look at and see the moon and see all kinds of structures yeah very dynamic very interesting but now look at what he used as opposed to the hubble and you can see infinite galaxies billions of Light years away, and we're seeing the birth of stars. There's no difference in meditation. The grand view of existence lies in the hidden silence. In the hidden silence, what we've seen prior to that is is with more crude instruments. So why do these yogis spend the whole life sitting like this? Because they're actually getting a tour of existence, of what made the visible possible. See? They're, they're seeing what made it possible. You're seeing just what's possible in a gross way. They're seeing what made it possible. Extraordinary. They're, they're, the, they're the greatest explorers in existence because they're, they're seeing how things came to be, what the original structures of existence are that allows the visible to be visible, the active to be active. They're, they're looking at the original generator, see? That's why once you get into it, and if, if you become skillful, you're, you're really on a, a grand, grand, grand journey, and journey into insight and it's up to, it's really up to you how far you go it's it's your call you might go so far and say oh, "No, I'm full no problem you know, or you might say this is cool the rest of my life I'm here and that's good also because it, it, it just depends on you you know how far into the universe do you want to see you know how far into the existence do you want to experience and it's all okay. You know, what level you choose is okay. You know, one wants to go back to the absolute moment of, of existence. You know, what is God? And if there is a God, what is that grand embrace? That's the masters. And then there's everything from us who look into the sky and wonder, you know, what is all of this? You know, what is my place in any of this? You know, that that's that's the journey of our of our life. You know, the, to, to find a, a whole and healing spot, a full spot. That is our existence. You know, that that's what it's that's that's what we're here for—to figure that stuff out. In um, Judeo-Christian, uh, later Judeo-Christian ideas. They think that we have life, you know, that's roughly at this time, 100 years. But from the East, we see that consciousness is infinite. And we wear out this form. And then you don't wear out your consciousness. Like, is there ever such a thing as a death of a thought? Not possible. There's no such thing as a death of a thought. And there's also no such thing as a death of spirit. So just like we'll pull, pull the elements of nature together to reform another body, and you'll be birthed through the womb of another woman. See? So you get infinite opportunities to explore nature until the grand understanding.
0: Okay,
1: Now that was really philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> but the deep be- mm.
0: I was just gonna say that I think it's interesting when when you talk about the different um, like meditation, the practice of goodness, hatha yoga—they're all all paths to the same end result. Yeah, and that you explore these different paths at this level where we are, and then figure out which path you want to take. Yeah, what's best to that through that cleansing process to that other world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that what's what uh, Susan is saying is, is correct. There's so many different paths, and each individual here has a little bit different disposition. Some are more psychologically oriented, uh, some are more emotionally oriented, some more physically oriented. You know, it's as per your nature, where you are now, is is the means that you're gonna that's gonna be most viable to you. You know, it's, it's not one shoe fits all, you know. You have multiple means or a combination of means, you know, because you're not all heart, you're not all intellect, you're not all action, you know. You're, you're different proportions of, of physicality, emotionality, mentality, you know, psychology and all this. You're, you're different proportions. So uh, when you're with a teacher, a Dharma teacher, uh they help you to get very basic structure of c- correct knowledge and then tailored knowledge. See, of, of what's the best means for you. So I might say, oh James, this is absolutely the best mantra. Do this mantra. And then I'll turn around to Susan and say completely different mantra. Susan, this is the absolutely best mantra. Do this mantra why is it it's this one is best for him this one is best for her see they're not the same they're not they don't have the same facilities they're not the same place in life they have different goals but each one can be led towards the center you know you give them what they need but there's always fundamental practices for everybody and then there's subtle retooling within those fundamental practices and and that's why you need uh, you know, people who have thrown their life into it. You know, a master mechanic, a good mechanic. you know to, to give the right adjustment, you know, the right insight. You, know, uh, uh, you, you have to study with people who have gone through the process. That's super, super important. You know, there's lots of people who read a bunch of books and then they, and they're very charismatic and blah, blah, blah. And they, they talk and they're very good at talking. But uh, you want people who've walked the road, who have lived it out. You, know, you don't want to read a book and try to go camping. You want to get the camping knowledge from a camper so you don't freeze to death when you get out there. You know. Or you, you go there with the improper tools and you find you can get eaten by the bears. You, know? you, you, you always have to find people who... It, it, th- this business is a type of apprenticeship, you know. You learn from people who are, are doing it, who have invested in it. Then you get the best value, you know, the, the greatest experience, the greatest knowledge, not intellectual knowledge. You, know, you get both intellectual and experiential knowledge. You know, You know, life is... Uh, infinitely diverse, so you need the knowledge of people who have lived the life. Not everything goes right. (laughs) Sometimes you're doing everything right, but the circumstance turns around, like you're climbing a mountain and you have all the right technical skills, and then a storm comes up, but you've only practiced when uh, the weather was good. (laughs) This is when you need the teacher. (laughs) What do you do with all the right stuff? But here comes a storm. You know, you didn't practice in a storm. That's where the teacher says, okay, this is what we have to do in order to deal with this. (laughs) See? So, that's why you need a climber. You know, someone who's climbed. Because they've faced all the different circumstances. And you you want to to make the climb. The beauty of the yogic science is that ultimately our desire is for you personally and intimately to have direct experience that way you know for yourself it's not like oh hari said this or a book said that that's good in the beginning but it's ultimately not satisfying the root of our activity is that you yourself personally, uniquely, individually, have direct personal experience. Then we're really satisfied. Because then you really know. You know for yourself. No matter if 10,000 people say something else, it doesn't make any difference. What you've experienced, you've experienced. What you know is what you you know. Then it's indelible. It's not corruptible anymore. As long as you're just relying on hearsay, there's a lot of maybe yes maybe no like I say if an elephant steps on your foot there's no more maybe there's no more maybe and that's what we want for you that uh, you have direct personal experience because there is no more maybe you know are there angels is there a God is there is there a deeper reality we want you to know for yourself so that this the whole maybe factor gets booted out see but you have to make an intelligent, well-prepared journey, you know. And it's, it's your life. You're going to live your life anyway. Now the question is, are you going to live your life randomly, or are you going to live your life based on on tools that have been left behind by the great masters? And that's your choice. You do what you want. you know. But you're going to live life one way or the other. You know? <laughs> Any other thoughts, ideas, notions?
0: I can mention that the person who was interested in the breathing practices, there are, correct me if I'm wrong, but we did a yoga nidra class that I felt was breathing. It's a path that includes breathing practices. There's a bunch of breathing practices as well.
1: Yeah, th- there's a really a, a gazillion different uh, things I can teach. There's a bunch of stuff. There's a hidden library in my head. It's just now, you know, everything goes and ebbs and flows. So, like, you guys are like a new crop, you know. This is what heaven has sent, you know, a new crop of people. They're, the other crops, they're all over the world because so many come from UC Berkeley and such. You know, they're all over the place. Some are in Spain, some are in India, you know some are in Fiji, you know, they're all over the place, you know, in various places in the country. But, um, you know, as per your interest, then, um, you know, other classes can be developed, whether it's scriptural classes or meditation class and yoga nidra class or mantra class. There's a million different things to study, you know, there really is. And they're all really, really fascinating. But, uh, but now that uh, sort of a uh, sort of group is technic- starting to coalesce, you know, we'll we'll figure out some some day or sometime to start uh, a, cl- a classical study of meditation and things like that. You know, um, these are the tools of the trade. You know, prayer, meditation, mantra. Uh, contemplation, these are all tools of the trade or, or, or tools of, of experiential insight. You know, you know, if you add this energy to your psyche, what happens? See, and it's your responsibility to watch, to see what happens. You know, it's like baking. You put a little ginger in, what happens? You know, put a little salt in, what happens? See? So it means paying attention to your life in a very, very different way. You know what is the alchemy of your life? You know what's going on in, in your life personally. You know, so much of our life is very unconscious. You, you, you'll be shocked if you really think about it. How much of your life is based on habits? You know, you're on autopilot a whole lot. You know, and you don't realize it because everybody else is on autopilot, just like we're on autopilot when we drive. It's useful you know it's not bad but a lot of what we think and what we feel and what we say and what we do is on autopilot and it's not sort of the uh, the native sort of creative vitality you know living creativity it's like when you're skiing down a hill there's tremendous vitality and you'd better be really really aware (laughs) otherwise you're going to hit a tree you know you're alive when you're coming down that hill. You know, and you're really really aware. You feel the air, you smell the air, you see what's going around you. You're you're manipulating your body. You're more alive. You're more alive. Less autopilot. So the whole yoga science is is trying to to bring about you being more alive, less on autopilot being very more creative, more creative, see? Not 75%, 80% autopilot, which is structurally useful, but it's not all about where you, who you really are, you know? it's That's just sort of how you navigate in a way so you you know, in the world physically and emotionally. But it's not you at your best, you know? It's you at your most convenient maybe but not you at your best. You know, if you look at the the creative process, whether it's in, in any art or any science, there's always challenges, but the fact that they're doing that creative research, they're actually most alive at that time when they're fully engaged creatively. See? So that we're we're trying to create a, a deeper, more intelligent engagement in life. Less sort of zombie life and more real life. You know? I mean, because you can look at a person 70, 80, 90 years old, they're all good people. There's no character judgment here. But so much more is on autopilot. What they're talking about today was what they were talking about last week and what they're talking about <laughs> before. But, you know, it's just the same story. Whether you tap in this year or that year, it's the same story. You know, but think about it when you were a child, you were constantly growing, constantly expanding, constantly experiencing. It's that kind of creative suppleness that we're trying to recapture, you know. We've all sort of become sort of manufactured milk crates, you know, very functional, but also very dull, you know. Does it do its job? Yeah, it does its job. Is it alive? No, no, it's just sitting on the shelf, you know. We want you much more like a living river as opposed to a stagnant pond, see? We want you alive again. All your senses alive again, engaged again, not, not taking things for granted. When you were a kid, you didn't take anything for granted. What is this, mommy? What is that, mommy? What's this do? You know, that kind of creative, constant questioning, that's what you did when you were a kid. What is this? What does this mean? What is that? You know, when you were that way, as opposed to how we are now, can you see the distance we've traveled? We've sort of commodified ourselves into a box, as opposed to being open to the wonder of the world. <laughs> the yoga wants to bring back a wisdom based wonder. <laughs> I mean, the wisdom means deep understanding and a wonder of what God is doing. The, 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 sort of the alchemy of God, you know, know. and I'm saying the word God, you can say whatever word that means infinite intelligence, you know, infinite, pure intelligence. It's all the same stuff. Don't get hung up on words, you know, it doesn't mean anything. You know, who called God, God? We made that word up. (laughs) We made that word up. See, It's it's a reality that we're trying to quantify. So don't get hung up on words. Any other any other thoughts? Ideas? Mm. No. I didn't talk about anything I thought I was going to talk about <laughs>
0: today. It's good to get a review, too, because yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is just um, being reminded again, being reoriented again to what is important. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah that creativity is, is huge, you know. We want you to be fully alive, you know, fully alive and purposeful, you know, really purposeful. Just like everything in nature is fulfilling some purpose, you know, it's not living, there's no tree or even a braid of glass that's living just for itself. It's not at all. It's integrated into a system. It's only the human ego that makes us step out of a system where we're not nurturing other life. We're sort of like, okay, I'm in it for myself, you know, or I'm in it for this little micro system. There's nothing outside that we ever step through that's in it for itself. There's an infinite interdependency and an intersupport with everything. It's only our ego that makes us step out of it, out of that wholeness. Why do we experience loneliness? Because we've stepped out of wholeness. We stepped out of wholeness. You know, the world didn't push us out. We stepped out. Now the question is: how do we step back into a sense of wholeness? That means you have to have a profound insight onto the to nature of your being, the nature of your facilities, and how that what that means to everything else. See? We created our own isolation. See? Through our own. Ignorance. Ignorance is not that. Ignorance is simply ignorance. It means you don't know. It's an innocent not knowing. See, But society is allowed us, supports that not knowing. See? Why? Because you could be manipulated. You know? The very definition of a, 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 a truly creative artist is a person who is not being manipulated. They have a creative respect, expression and they're putting it out there, regardless of what the planet has to say about it you know did everyone like pop art or cubism or any of the other art forms that came up when it first came out no were they all valuable yes look at all the forms of music that have arisen you know were they all appreciated originally no were they did they all have some creative vitality that said I am here you know it's important to see this yes See. Those are souls that were unbound by society. They didn't let society hammer them down and hold them down. See? It was part of life seeking expression. See? So that's, that's what we want for, for the spirit. We want the, the, the spirit to have creative expression in and through your life, through all of your senses, all of your facilities to have creative expression. Not for you to become like. A milk carton, you know, manufactured, and stuck on the shelf, you know, modestly useful, but dead, <laughs> you know, unfortunate. You should be fully alive. See, fully alive. Then what's possible? Everything is possible. Think of what jazz has put into the world, or country has put into the world, or folk has put into the world. How much joy has come out of that? Because they allowed. A real expression, a real creativity to, to manifest through all the art or all the sculpture. Or, you know, they allowed the spirit to come through and that it created all this art. You know. So why isn't your life an art project? See, it should be. It should be an intelligent creative art process. You know. Regardless of your art is your art but you, you got to be it. You got to make it happen. See? And that comes to knowing your facilities and then make something happen you know, stir the pot see what comes up